1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble in a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which warn against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe a holy Catholic Church. You said that a few moments ago in the Apostles' Creed. I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. If we had picked up the Nicene Creed, that's what you would have said in the Nicene Creed. That's what we confess every time we recite one of these ecumenical creeds. And now in the Belgic Confession, Article 27, we say it again. We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church. Catholic means universal. Well, were the confessions making something up that sounded good but had no basis in reality? And how in the world could Guido de Bray, the author of the Belgic Confession, write this and mean it back there in 1561? After all, not only was there the Roman Catholic Church, but there were also Lutherans and Anabaptists and the Reform camp and perhaps even others. One single church. And even if we look at our own world here in Kitchener-Waterloo, we cannot help but note that there are Pentecostals right next door here at Freedom in Christ Pentecostal Assembly. And then beyond that is the Orthodox that are the Orthodox at St. John the Baptist Roman Romanian Orthodox Church. And then going the other way down Bleams is the non-denominational people at the KW Christian Fellowship, headed by Reverend Ken Miles. And beyond them is the Kitchener Gospel Hall. And in reality, we do very little together. And beyond what we find here on Bleams Road, many of us are aware of Mennonites and Lutherans and the Salvation Army and Roman Catholics and Nazarenes and Anglicans and Presbyterians and the United Church of Canada and Baptists and even others. One single Catholic church? How can we make such a confession with integrity? 
Let's take it a step further. Those of us in the Reformed camp all confess the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and we hold to the Belgian Confession as being a good and accurate summary of the teachings of the Bible, and yet there seems to be anything but unity in the Reformed camp. Consider this, there's the Christian Reformed Church, the Reformed Church in America, United Reformed Churches, Canadian Reformed Churches, Free Reformed Churches, Netherlands Reformed Churches, the Reformed Congregation in North America, Heritage Reformed Churches, and I may even be missing some. Many of these are very small, mind you, and you may not have even heard of them, but they all exist, and oddly enough, they all confess to believe one holy Catholic Church. The skeptic is bound to ask a question or two about this confession of oneness, because either we're the greatest hypocrites on earth, or we're not able to understand what we're saying in Article 27, or our confession of oneness refers to something other than the denominationalism found in our world. Of course, the latter is the case, and I think you understand that. Article 27 and our confessions in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds concerning the Church goes beyond all those denominations that I mentioned. The word church is in singular form. One church, says Article 27, one congregation and gathering of true Christian believers. And that's the key to our understanding our confession concerning the church. In spite of all the different denominations, in spite of all the different kinds of church order, in spite of all the different nuances and matters, uh, manners of interpreting the Bible, which don't help much in our understanding of the one holy Catholic Church, nonetheless we confess that there is one true church. There is one overriding body or congregation which is the body of Christ, which is made up of those who belong to him. Now thinking in these terms, it becomes obvious that when the confessions talk about the church, they're not using the word in a very narrow sense. And so they're not referring to buildings that we call churches. They're not referring to the church service or even to a specific denomination. Rather, the word church that's used in our confessions is used in a much broader and in a much more exciting sense. For if we think of the church as being only what we're familiar with, or only as the Christian Reformed Church or whatever, we have much too small a picture of the church. The word church refers to something much greater than we can even imagine. It doesn't refer to a particular building, it doesn't refer to people gathering for church like we're doing now, but it refers to all people bound together in true Faith. And so it includes the technologically sophisticated Japanese Christian as well as the simple peasant from backwoods of Sierra Leone. It includes the highly educated and now converted Muslim holy man in Nigeria as well as the economically suffering Christian fisherman in Nautport in Newfoundland. The church includes high-powered Christian businessmen and women who function in the boardrooms of large corporations, and it includes the poor Christian person who finds it necessary to climb about in the garbage dumps of the Philippines in order to sustain him or herself. I think you get the picture. 
The church articles 27 speaks of includes all those who have professed their faith decades ago and it includes those who came to recognize the Lord just last week or yesterday. Old Christians and young Christians alike and everybody in there in between have their place in the church. And not only does the church span the globe today taking in people in all sorts of different places or walks of life but the church also spans the length of time. And so when we talk about the church, we include not only the people we know today, but also people like Martin Luther and John Calvin. But when we talk about the church, we go even beyond what happened at Pentecost. Because sometimes people think that Pentecost is the birth of the church. That's when the church started, but not really. When we think about the church, we go back to people like Joseph and Mary, or further back even to people like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Elijah and Isaiah and so on. The Reformed confessions have no problem regarding the Old Testament saints as people having been saved by Christ or in Christ, even though Jesus had not as yet come. And while the knowledge of Abraham and Sarah concerning Jesus was much less clear than what the apostles Peter and Paul knew, nonetheless the Old Testament characters knew of the promised Messiah and all the sacrifices and ceremonies and prophecies with which they lived pointed to were, were types of Christ. And so like Peter referred to the New Testament church as a holy chosen people and a holy nation, a people belonging to God in like manner, the Old Testament scripture refers to the people of Israel as a chosen people, God's holy nation. And therefore we confess that this universal body, this special body found all over the globe, this church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last till the end of the world. But now we must become even more specific in our discussion of the church because, I don't know if you noticed it or not, Article 27 mentions three attributes or three characteristics of the church. And they're words that have been taken from the Apostles' Creed. The words are one, holy, Catholic. The oneness or the unity of the church has always understandably been a sore point. Some of, know, some of us know this to be so firsthand. When the Reformers broke off from the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s, they were accused of breaking the unity of the Church. And obviously, prior to the Reformation, the Church was visibly much more one than after the Reformation. Visibly much, much more one. Once Luther and Calvin and others broke ranks with the Church, there were other denominations or movements some of which stood opposed to the teachings and the direction of the largest church, namely the Roman Catholic or the Roman Universal Church of the day. And because of the increased lack of unity in the days of the Reformation, the Reformers were challenged by the established church about the unity of the church and how awful it was that they broke the unity. But the Reformers countered by arguing rather strenuously that while there may be different churches, Nonetheless, there was still only one Lord, and so really there was only one church. John Calvin said, uh, wrote about that in his Institutes. He said, there is only one church, 
and it is called Catholic or universal because there could not be two or three churches without Christ being divided, which is impossible. And so in order to explain themselves, Luther and Calvin especially made a distinction between the visible and the invisible church. The visible church, they said, is what we see, a body confined to a certain place with certain people. But the invisible church is the body of Christ. And then to use the words of Article 27, the body of Christ not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain people. But it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. And by the way, it is this invisible body that the Lord will preserve. Visible congregations like this one, even denominations like the Christian Reformed Church may come and go. But the true church, Article 27 says, is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world. Now these statements flew in the face of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church of the day, which had a strong emphasis on the visible church declaring it to be a visible extension of Jesus' body and declaring that salvation came through one's membership in that church. And since teaching led the church of the day to confess the faith in the, such teaching led the church of the day to confess faith in the church and not simply a church. So we say we believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't say we believe in one holy Catholic church. We believe the holy Catholic church. Now, while the reformers did not dispute the importance of the church, as Article 28 will testify, they did dispute the teaching that membership in the church meant automatic salvation. For they said that like not everyone was a member of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So like not everyone, not every member of the people of Israel in the Old Testament was saved or came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So not everyone in the visible church will be saved. Not everyone who has his or her name on the church rolls, or for that matter, who even makes public profession of their faith, will necessarily be saved. We judge someone on his or her profession by what comes out of his or her mouth, but God sees the heart. And so while not everyone who says they think they are a Christian or who sits in the pews week after week is necessarily a Christian, unless everyone who is part of the invisible church is, because those are the people with true faith. You see, that leads to the second characteristic of the church, namely holiness. All those in the invisible church, by true faith, are holy. It's a requirement for membership, if you will. Perhaps we can put it this way. If you're unholy, unsanctified, unmade new in Christ, unborn again, then you're not a member of the church. When one is holy, he or she is first of all a called out person, called out of darkness into this wonderful light, as Peter put it. 
That is a holy person, biblically speaking, is one of God's elect, a person to whom Christ is real, a person who recognizes that he or she has been set aside for work in God's kingdom to declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you. And not only does this holy refer to being called out from among the peoples of the world, but it also refers to having been cleansed through the saving power of Jesus Christ who gave his life to pay for the sins of his people. Being holy means that there's an ongoing task of cleansing in one's life, an ongoing process of being made right and new through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so Article 27 says, in effect, that what the true church involves is all those who are true Christian believers, all those who belong to Jesus Christ, all those whose salvation is based entirely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and on the continued work of the Holy Spirit. This body is one. It is holy. It is Catholic. It is universal. Yes, at times, says Guido de Bray, it may appear to be very, very small. That was true at the time of Elijah and Ahab. And no doubt also true in the days of the Reformation. And it must also be as it must also, and it also must be experienced by Christian church during times of heavy persecution. But situations like that, in situations like that, a whole lot big broader perspective must be kept. The congregation of true committed Christians may be small, but the Lord informed Elijah, who thought he was alone, that there were yet 7,000 who did not bend their knees to Baal. Theodore Beza, one of the reformers, writing to the monarch of his land, wrote, quote, Sire, it belongs in truth to the church of God in whose name I speak, to endure blows and not to inflict them. But it will also please your majesty to remember that the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. The church may appear to be small at any given moment, but it is still a church that spans the globe and spans the whole of time, and nothing or no one can destroy it, not even Satan. Small or large, it's nonetheless one based on one Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for her. And so it is that among those who label themselves Christian Reformed or Roman Catholic or Orthodox or Mennonite or Pentecostal or Baptist or Presbyterian or Luther or Free Reformed for that matter or whatever else they may call themselves, among all those who bear such labels is the true church, the body of real believers. And of course, the part of the church we know best is our own congregation, but we're going to hear more about that when we deal with Article 28. I believe a holy Catholic church, one single Catholic or universal church, in a world filled with ever-increasing number of denominations, and with everyone seemingly wanting to do their own thing, this confession of Article 27 is very important. It's the confession of true Christians. It's a confession that brings a warning 
with it, namely that simply having your name on a membership role of a church or just because you're active in the life of the church doesn't necessarily mean that you're a child of the Lord or a member of the true church. And so there's a challenge there for us to examine our faith life and our dependence on Jesus for salvation. And if we're not true members, then our participation in the life of the church is a charade and leading nowhere. And so then we're called upon to repent. But this confession also brings great comfort for by being a member of the body of Christ, of the Catholic Church, one can live in the assurance that no matter what happens, no matter how many denominations may come or go, God will preserve his people, God will preserve his church against the rage of the whole world. And being part of the one true church will also mean that one will share in the eternal inheritance. The Lord has kept his saints from the beginning of time and he will continue to do that, although at times the numbers may appear small. Jesus will come again and take the bride, the church, to himself. And what a day that will be. Then members out of every man-made denomination will gather around the throne. And then the church, which we have always confessed as the invisible church, will be visible. And we will together celebrate God's goodness. All denominational barriers and idiosyncrasies will be gone and we'll be one solidly established on the firm foundation in Jesus Christ. Praise God for the one holy Catholic Church, a church called to action. May it continue to grow and serve him. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you for the one universal church. We pray, O oh Lord, that we, each one here this evening, may indeed be a part of that. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you, Lord, for giving us Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving your people and for being faithful to your people. And even though there is so much brokenness among the, in the church in this world, and we sometimes wonder if indeed there is a body, we are grateful that one day we will see that body as we stand before you. But even now, O oh Lord, we pray that as churches and as your people in this world, that we pray that we may work together for unity and work together with a, as a common front against all which would appear to stand opposed to you and your word. Build your church. Help us, Lord, to meet true believers all over the place and help us to realize that in Christ we are one. Thank you, Lord, for this confession and for reminding us about the church. We pray now that as we go from this place that you would grant us your blessing and your peace and grant us a good week of service in your church and in your kingdom. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.